Hello, welcome to episode 39 of Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for working professional photographers. I'm Tyler Stallman. I'm Cameron Whitman. Hi, Cameron Whitman. Hey, how you doing? I'm Tyler Stallman, and <laughs> we're here to talk about, uh, what are we going to talk about this week? Problem solving. In lighting. The main topic being dealing with natural light, starting from found light and working from there and developing it into something interesting. Absolutely. So I want to start by saying that I think this has become much more popular in somewhat recent years. I, you know, both of us, we, we shot together in the olden days at iStock Photo. So mm, yep. that environment was, that was very strobey, strobe heavy. I mean, a lot of soft boxes, uh, a lot of soft boxes. <laughs> yeah, mostly soft boxes. Yeah, for everything, <laughs> all the time. Yeah. yeah. Just boxes on umbrellas and uh, as many strobes as you could fit into a room. Lots of artificial soft lighting. That would often be fighting whatever light was in the room. Um, And, you know, I think that part of this is maybe our uh, developing skill. I think it's a phase that most really great photographers had already gone through in the years that we were doing it. Mm -hmm. But wasn't uncommon. I mean, a a few years ago, there was a lot of more affordable strobes. Uh, Websites like the Strobist were really popularizing strobe photography. So it was very popular to not worry about blending it with environmental lighting. Yeah, you were more concerned about just creating your own atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. And that that was like a sign of uh that it was professional mm-hmm. to us amateurs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, look, you can see that I spent money on a softbox here. You can see it right here in the reflections in her eyes. <laughs> and now looking back on it, I, in a way, it almost looks more like sitcom lighting to me, like stage <laughs> totally. lighting. Yeah, right? exactly. The hair light is really obvious and clear and like maybe really strong rim lighting, mm-hmm. really obvious lighting is just giving itself away all the time yelling it out yeah exactly (laughs) i'm right here (laughs) you know where i'm coming from and you know exactly what the source is but there's been a huge shift and i don't know do do you want to speculate on what caused it that basically natural lighting is in and has been in for years now yeah i'll make a speculation i think that um (laughs) okay i'm gonna say it authenticity (laughs) um i think that was it you know i think that when lighting became an obvious tool, you know, I mean, you could just tell, I mean, that, well, that's not natural. Why would the lighting be coming from this side in this scene? Doesn't make any sense in a lot of cases. Or you could see the, the shape of the, of the light tool. And uh, a lot of those cases, I think it's just giving away that staged feel. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm connecting a little bit to the rise of social photographers too, like mm-hmm. shooting through iPhone, maybe. Mm-hmm. Trying to portray scenes as reality a little bit more not trying to show that you have a studio but instead express something that is is part of your life or a a little more grounded well you have an interesting life because you leave the house (laughs) (laughs) that's that was our tip from previous episode if you missed it uh tip number one leave the house and then uh i i'd only be guessing at media influences but i think of kinfolk Mm-hmm. That might be a little later. Like this was already happening by the time Kinfolk was big, but I think now Kinfolk has had a huge influence on how a lot of people shoot. No doubt, it's the name for a genre. Mm-hmm. What well, I mean, whatever the reason, here we are, and we're all looking for both, uh, you know, very soft window light and interesting mixes of shadows, mm-hmm. and 
just so many people never set up strobes that I, I know um, professional photographers that don't work with strobes that don't understand strobes and they're not concerned about that. They're not right. working towards it. Mm-hmm. Shooting weddings. Um, you can definitely be a wedding photographer and only understand the speed light on your camera. Right. Which is actually in some cases more confusing than using strobes. <laughs> actually. Yeah. It definitely took me longer to master that than it did to, <laughs> to figure out a softbox. Yeah. But what do you see as the challenges here? Like, obviously, if you're working with available light, there's, oh, no, 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 I know. Okay, here, call back to previous episode when we talked about how high ISOs changed everything. Right. That's also a big part of it. All of a sudden, shooting at 800 or 1600 is viable and looks yeah. great. And now you don't need as big of windows or a strobe. That's right. And I think using fast lenses too in those scenes, like the way that the light falls off when it's natural just tends to look more believable, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see it in an image, it just feels like it's more real. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Okay, so uh, here we are. Everybody's shooting natural light. How often do you feel like you bring artificial light into a scene versus how often do you feel like you're just modifying natural light? So what I try to do is like depending on whatever the whatever needs to be told in the picture, mm-hmm. I try to find a location that's going to already have advantages. So I guess it just really depends on on what I'm walking into. Yeah. So if you're walking into a situation and the light is poor, then you got to do something about it. But generally speaking, like if I am just uh, tied to a specific location, then sometimes going to find the light is what's going to kind of lead my inspiration, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes it's that hard light that's reflected off of a skyscraper in the city, you know, that's the best thing you can get. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, just in the tips and tricks section, that's, that's what you look for really. Like that's the best reflector you're going to find. Yeah. There's nothing like it. It's why uh, big cities that have a lot of tall buildings like New York, San Francisco are really great to shoot in. Because there are all these really reflective buildings all over the place. Yeah, it's actually funny because D.C. not being a a tall building city um, does have quite a lot of new architecture. And Mm. quite a lot of that is highly reflective. So there are certain spots in the city where you can, uh, as long as the sun is out, you can rely on there being a, a fair amount of interesting light available. Um, and then, you know, depending on, on what the job is or what your inspiration is, you know, you can start to modify it using different tools and without having to actually get into adding artificial light. Mm-hmm. You know, you can either use reflectors or scrims, stuff like that. Also, just looking at different cities, I don't think people give a lot of thought to this, but mm-hmm. the place that you're in, the, the architecture really influences what those modifiers are. Yeah. Even though the buildings are there before you get there, they really are modifiers. I mean, the sun is hitting it and bouncing back, and it makes a huge difference if all of those buildings are white or if they're glass or if they're brick. So that's why, I mean, I, I think the best places to shoot city-wise, like I really like, like Soho, mm-hmm. uh, tons of, they're, they're not super tall buildings, but a lot of them are white or cream. Mm-hmm. And um, Paris is also really great for this. City of Light is its reputation because yeah. all these buildings are basically the same height. They're tall enough to create shade so that there's very little direct light happening, direct sunlight, 
but then there is always one of the sides is bouncing all of this white light back to the other side of the street. Amazing. Yeah. So cities that do that, that's why you can just shoot on every street corner. It, it's a huge advantage if you live in a city that has that kind of architecture. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure there's many others I'm not thinking of. That is the best light that you can purchase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you know, really like, like the, to, the cost of creating that artificially is <laughs> incredible. I mean, it's very right. You, hard you would need a star and <laughs> yeah. a couple really tall Places buildings. Very far away. Right. Yeah. yeah and then built some buildings, but, <laughs> I mean, which is very different from like a, a glass downtown. So I live in Calgary. We have a pretty tall downtown, but a lot of it is uh, glass buildings. And those will give you like spotlights, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll, get, you'll find pools of light on the walls, which often will take on interesting shapes and, and can do really interesting things. It's not bad lighting. It's just a little less easy to work with. Like if you just walk into these, the, the white building reflection light, everything's mm-hmm. perfect all the time. You don't have to work for it. It's just, it's there for you. And when you get that spotlight look, you kind of have to work with it. You have to like find a pool that is the right size for your model and you might be getting some shadows in it that you have to incorporate. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way that your city, not just as a background, but as a lighting modifier will totally shape how your photos look. Yeah. It's inspiring because there's so many more interesting elements that you can add. And, you know, in some cases you're on a limited timeline with how that light is going to act in that moment, you know, so you might have a moment or an inspired moment, in this particular time, and then you're going to, five minutes later, the sun's going to move. Mm-hmm. And then you have to completely rethink how you're going to go about yeah, the shoot. Yeah. And sometimes that's that's a lifesaver. You know, sometimes it can really be a bummer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's like, oh, it was so perfect. Yeah. And then it's gone. And oh, what yeah, do you those do? few minutes it takes to, like the time between that you decided to shoot in this location, and then you're ready to go, can easily kill a shot. That has oh, happened yeah. many times. This is kind of like where, where you have to... You know, using this kind of light, that's the trick, is that, you know, you may have to act fast. And so you might have to be one of these, you know, celebrity portrait photographers who have two minutes to take the photo. For sure. <laughs> so it's it's a good idea to practice a lot. Well, and I was going to say that personally, my distribution of artificial and real lighting now is almost all natural light. Yeah. It, but part of it is what I shoot now. So a lot of it is street style. That means... Of course, I'm not going to be hauling around lighting for that. It's kind of journalistic. And then fortunately, we have a studio that has windows now as well. So when we're shooting portraits, as often as I can, I like to work with the natural window lighting. You know, in winter in Canada, it can get cloudy enough that there's not enough daylight to be like shooting properly. Right. Uh, even with like big studio windows, it's kind of too dark. And then all of a sudden, for a season, you're day by day struggling with uh, whether you're going to be able to shoot that day or not. Right, because everything you're shooting is has a lot of chiaroscuro <laughs> because you're just barely getting any light in there. Totally. So yeah. what I do when that's not working out, I don't actually not shoot. What we do is just light it. So the, the way that I typically match strobes to window light indoors is um, basically by looking for as many places for the light to bounce before it hits the subject as I can. I mm-hmm. This was what I didn't understand about softboxes for the longest time, is that when you put one piece of fabric or two pieces of fabric in between your flash and your subject, mm-hmm. your flash is still pointing straight at them, it's soft lighting, but it's not that soft. I know it's called the softbox, but you can get much, much softer than a softbox. Oh, yeah. 
No, it's, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of uh, invasive in a strong way. It might be technically soft lighting. But I mean, you can tell, I mean, there's just such a, a small threshold when you're like, if you're taking portraits in a studio with a softbox or, or whatever, you know, the threshold within your highlights is pretty delicate, really. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think it would, it gives itself away mixed with window light, like the, the softbox lighting is completely different. Maybe we need a scale from, if we call, you know, the streets in uh, Paris, 10 out of 10 on a softness level. I'm sure mm-hmm. there actually is a way to measure this, but let's call that uh, uh, Paris is a 10 out of 10. And um, direct sunlight at noon is a one. Mm-hmm. Softbox is kind of like a five. Yeah. It's much softer than direct light, but it's not, it's not that soft. No, it's not. I mean, it'll, it'll still create some hard shadows. Yeah. In fact, depending on, on how close to the subject, how large the box is. Mm-hmm. You know, how powerful. Yeah, especially if you pull it back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so what what I actually do is a lot of the time, I basically blast it into a corner or at the ceiling. Mm-hmm. I just like let it fill the room by bouncing around the walls as much as possible. That's the lazy way. It'll create a bit of a wash. So there's really no shadows and there isn't much shape to the light. So it's, it's kind of boring and mm-hmm. kind of flat, but it's very, very soft. And, and clean. Yeah. And it requires no modifiers at all. If I do have modifiers, like the, the other day, uh, uh, we had a, well, lately we have a really big scrim in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge diffuser. I think it's like 12 by 12 or something. No, yeah. that's too big. Eight by eight. And uh, I put the flash in the corner, blasting into the wall, and then the diffuser in between it. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, by the time the light hits the diffusion, it has bounced around a lot and it was never direct. And that is, I don't know, that gets you to like an eight or nine on the soft scale. Right. Much, much softer than a soft box. Right. And then you can get away with using a shallower depth and mm-hmm. still have it, you know, have a really beautiful fall off and sharpness. Yeah. So what do you do to hit maximum softness in the studio? I, well, right now I can't because the location that I'm in currently is just way too cramped. There's no, uh, there's not a great possibility for it. The one thing that I have going for me is that I have one very bright white wall. So, um, if I need to, then I can, I can play around with bouncing some light off of that. Um, but it's really, it's really challenging to do it in my situation. Yeah. So I've been in size is a huge influence on it. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a small space, then it's going to be really hard because there's going to be shadows everywhere. You know, you can't hide them. Um, And so I've been, because of this, I've been mostly doing more hard light Mm -hmm. portraits. But I wanted to talk about um, just some techniques to make that that wash that you were talking about a little more interesting. Okay. Because I think that I actually like the idea of using that wash as a base, if you will, a base light. Mm -hmm. And then adding that and having it, maybe turning it down a little bit so it's just kind of it fills the room but it's not bright and then you know start to use other lights as like highlights you know especially if it's like for portrait work right so using it is effectively a fill yes yeah but like a like a wash though right you know, right a fill wash yeah well i was watching uh chris who's been um shooting with us lately he was doing some photos for anya the other day and he was doing the the wash with a super directional 
a really hard light casting a shadow right behind her on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I thought it had a really nice look to it. It had the softness on her, like that was the main thing you saw, but then the direct light was just enough to cast the shadow. Right. So that the average was quite soft, but there were shadows being cast like a direct flash. Right. And you, I mean, you could even, depending on like what the subject is, um, I, that, I think that that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Is, is what's your subject? So if it's kind of like an interesting character portrait, you know, you have a little bit more freedom to get weird with your light as opposed to just like taking more of like a, a lifestyle type portrait or maybe um, fashion portrait. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not really sure that's your your world. But, you know, I think that if you're going to make it a little more interesting, you know, I mean, you could just use uh, snoots and stuff like that just to get like something to, to glint off the eye. Yeah. You know, and have it really subtle, um, but enough to, to give it that little tiny touch of magic. Yeah, and that look I'm talking about, the wash, works mm-hmm. well enough in... Uh, a lot of the reason I use it is because it works well for full-length portraits. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll light shoes to head right, bright and, and evenly, but it's not good for close-ups, especially because there's nothing in the eyes. Like, the eyes right, get really boring. Yeah. yeah. You often see, like, kind of weird reflections off the the wall wherever the light's hitting it, and it's not Yeah, nice. that would be ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm doing all... If I'm doing, like, a really softboxy thing, like, I really like the look... Like, one of my favorite really carefully crafted portraits I've done has soft lights, like, all around, and a ring light in the front that mm-hmm. it's not even bright enough to be a fill. It's almost only a catch light. Yeah. Uh, and some people do this with a, another soft box. I mean, there's a million ways to do it, but just putting something that's a little more on axis to be a, just a catch light. Yeah. And, you know, I think actually in star Wars, the force Awakens, it um, can be seen a lot in the red light on Kylo Ren's mask. Mm-hmm. Like there's always these like red lights moving across. And I honestly think it's like a dude across the room with a laser pointer, basically like, you know, one led that's just point like, okay, just point that at his <laughs> eyes so that it feels like it's coming from his eyes all the time. Right. And it makes a huge difference that you don't even see his eyes, but like the effect is really there. And I know right. in Lord of the Rings for Galadriel, the uh, forest elf, they would have big nets of uh, Christmas lights. Right. Just really close to her when they had the close-up. So all you'd see is these catch lights of a million little sparkly points of light. And that stuff is really important. If there's no catch light, it can just kill an otherwise beautiful portrait. Yeah, it can. Because it just it looks lifeless, right? Yeah. But too much of a catch light kills it in the same way. Yeah, I totally. I was hooked on giant catch light. Like, this is part of the softbox culture is like addicted to giant catch lights right. i was really into them for a while yeah i remember me too <laughs> yeah. we're all guilty here yeah. yeah and now i'm i feel like it's my mission is to to make it subtle to the point where you can't you can't define it right and uh, obviously it's not easy to uh, succeed on every occasion well the time that i still like it when it's bold now is often the sky like if it's mm-hmm. natural and you can start to like see a horizon line or you'll, you'll get this look when people are in doorways. Mm-hmm. Like this is why a, a common tip is to use, like open your garage door and just shoot right at the edge of the door. That's a, a really great spot to get just natural portrait lighting. Yes. And you'll see beautiful catch lights in that often. Like it's sort of uh, like a crescent moon or something. And um, 
I love that. You know, it's bold, but it's not giving itself away. It's still kind of ambiguous what the reflection is. Right, right. That's kind of just the same as, you know, walking around the city, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What about uh, direction of reflected light? That's something that I, again, I also didn't think I think I, I started thinking about that till I was later. Yeah, that one is, uh, <laughs> that one's kind of a personal pet peeve of mine because, like, I really have a strong distaste for light that is bounced up. Yeah. And this is what you see new photographers doing a lot is like, lot. okay, hold my reflector reflector. And the easiest way to get light out of a reflector is to put it down because mm-hmm. the sun is above. So you like hold it low and all of the power of the light is coming up their chin and up their nose. Yeah. And the way that that light catches in the eyes is, is so unnatural. Horrible. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, not to be mean to anybody out there that loves doing this, but like it, it's kind of a sign. So please stop doing it. Yeah, it's it. It says a lot. <laughs> um, and we've all done it. We've all gone through that phase or whatever. But it personally, I don't think it took very long for me to to recognize how much I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And you know, no matter how much I wanted to get an effect from it, the consequences of the catch light in the eyes was was uh, unbearable. You know, I just couldn't get over it. Well, I'm thinking of it in more than just the catch light, just also that directionality. It's like, yeah, the light is very soft, but it's like holding a flashlight under your face at, around a campfire. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's not, it's still spooky lighting. Right. You know, it's not attractive. Yeah. It's meant to make things look off. Yeah. And you so know? now, I mean, I'd much rather have a white reflector than a silver reflector mm. typically. Just it, I find them more versatile and uh, basically horizontal, like parallel to the subject. Even mm-hmm. if it's not catching nearly as much light, it's not giving me as much output. But the quality of the light is much nicer. Well, and also it's it becomes more believable that it might be a wall or you know something right. else that would actually be there. Yeah, that can you know kind of answer that question. Mm-hmm. Where is the light originating? I kind of regret that we didn't get. Uh, we just got a new car recently. Mm-hmm. And I kind of regret not getting it in white just as a reflector. Cause if you've ever done that, like walk up to like a big white moving van. And sometimes when I'm passing by them with somebody, with another person that I can look at and you walk by a white van and all of a sudden they just get beautiful, soft light starts to like emanate over them. That's too bad. I've never, <laughs> I've never even thought about that, but I'll, I might have to borrow. Oh that. yeah, totally. Look for it. Like if you're walking around street photography, it's like looking for good light and not finding it. Mm-hmm. White vans, Nice. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Uh, pro tip. <laughs> Look for white bands. <laughs> and I mean, it's like so obvious, right? Yeah. But also not. Yeah. I mean, and it's it, so it, it, it drives me crazy sometimes the whole, like, they, so another pet peeve at the same time is when people ignore color casts uh, when they're in like a colorful room or near a colorful wall and they just let say, you know, the green wash over the person's face. Right. Um, Nah, it does not look great. No. <laughs> or nor, nor yellow. Yeah, no. Or anything other or than blue. White. Yeah. Which is those are the those are all the the most common contaminants, right? Well, so the other way that that kills it is uh using a flash for events mm-hmm. and somebody's got uh they've painted all the walls of their home yellow. <laughs> yeah. Especially yellow. It's like everybody paints their houses yellow. Uh, yeah. or taupe or, you know, some, some really warm color and you're trying to bounce light around and everything coming back is just gross. 
Yeah, because it's it's that color times infinity. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if you're thinking about painting a new space, consider white. Yeah, white's a good color. It's a good base. <laughs> yeah, you'll never regret it. It never goes out of style, I promise. Right. No, but it's boring. No, 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 no. No, it's not. I mean, you can accent the white. You know? Exactly. That's, the that's color the idea. The color is not supposed to come out of the whole wall. Like, put something colorful on your wall, <laughs> and the and it'll it'll be brilliant. Yeah. This isn't yeah. universal decoration advice, but I think people overestimate how much color they need on their walls, and it hurts the photographers. Oh, no doubt. Think of the photographers. Have you ever? I mean, you've seen my office, right? Uh, it's all wood panels. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a 1960s man dungeon. Is that just to spite yourself, or a... no? That's just it's a rental. Yeah, right. Well, but you, it's got you... that like cherry wood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like you can't bounce anything off of this light. Or and these walls. even worse is if you're, especially bars will do this, where the whole ceiling is say painted black, mm-hmm. so that you can't. There's no bounce at all. None. Any light yeah. you point in another direction just gets sucked up and eaten into the walls and eaten into the ceiling and then you just have to go direct and just you know yeah it's going to be brutal like you're going to need a few minutes to sort that out otherwise it's going to look really unnatural when you shoot events though do you because i just shoot direct like i just Mm -hmm. when if i can't get a good bounce which is pretty often you know you can only get a good bounce like half the time maybe um i just turn the flash and go terry richardson on it uh oh absolutely do you do you use like a gary fong hell no No? god those things are awful are they you know i I never i never noticed the difference no they just look like bounce light to me yeah i don't think it does anything really to be perfectly honest i'm not just trying to be the naysayer or whatever like i had one Mm -hmm. and i remember one of my professors at the time when it first came out was basically saying that this is the best invention of all time you know the gary fong yeah and of course, you know, all these students looking up to their teacher went out and bought the damn thing. Well, and for anyone who doesn't know what a Gary Fong is, because it's just a guy's name, it doesn't describe the product. It's just a plastic tube that you stick on the end of your flash and then you point your flash straight up in the air. Yeah. It's like a rubber can. Yeah. And they started out clear. So, <laughs> yeah, which makes no sense. No. But, okay, but what about the ones that, and I haven't really tested these, so I feel like they may work well. What about the ones that, okay, you point it straight up, and there's a dome on top, mm-hmm. and it would look to me like that dome is going to act a bit like a ceiling and bounce back and redistribute light. So, if mm-hmm. I have a black ceiling, d- does that give me a bit of that, like, softer? Does it, is it softer than going direct? Yeah, if you put it on a bracket and you have it high enough, then it can start to, to, to serve that purpose. But then you have to consider, you know, how that's going to feel when you're walking around with it. How heavy is it? How much is it going to be a distraction? But I mean, if you're in that location, if you're like you're describing like a bar with a, a black ceiling, mm-hmm. you know, it might just be your, your, your best shot, you know, at getting right. some semblance of, of a natural feeling light. And so, like, I think that it would be worth a try for sure. But when we were talking about shooting events. Yeah. Um, and so my light, lighting theory on events is either I'm going to use what's available and it's going to feel like that, or I'm going to use the most obvious thing possible and sh- shoot it directly at them. Right. Um, but I do use a, uh, a diffuser. But you know, it's it's nothing special. It's just the one that the standard one that comes with the the speed light. Oh, okay. Because Canons don't actually come with one, so 
Oh, well. So I'm like, I'm just direct, <laughs> direct when I'm direct. Another notch against canon. <laughs> yeah. Canon flashes, they are not as good as Nikon flashes. No. See, so also, you know, I love using my Nikon Speedlight in those, in those moments because... You know, I, I'll just keep it on the camera because I'm not trying to, to hide the fact of what it is because it is what it is. And that moment, it's a very natural thing to expect for people. But that doesn't mean that you can't make it look really good. Yeah. You yeah, just have to totally. blend it with with uh, what's available. Exactly. And that means that you should always carry around, you know, filters. So yeah. a, a tungsten and also a, um, a fluorescent filter. Totally. That's what I was going to say. Like, that's the... Again, one of the best tips for event lighting, flashlighting, is to match the background. Yeah, and I mean, there are going to be situations where, you know, for instance, one of the locations where I shoot quite often for events, um, during the, you know, twilight, the um, outdoor lights, because the building is made of glass, Mm -hmm. and the outdoor lights are sodium vapor, so they're that horrible iodine orange, Mm -hmm. and that is, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, you you can't fight that at all. So um, during that twilight hour, where the light, I guess it's going to be very blue. It's like if you're going to be balancing for tungsten light, then that light is just going to be super saturated blue that's coming in, just mm-hmm. the natural uh, twilight light. But then you got this this horrible orange. So you really have no choice but to to go ahead and start with the uh, the tungsten early with the tungsten filter on that speed light. So you can just try to match it to the orange, but there's going to be that blue anyway. So there's situations that like you, you just have to suck it up and deal with whatever it is that's going to come your way. But whenever possible, you should be looking at whatever the lighting is. If you're going to be working an event and you've never worked it before, if it's a, like a location you've never worked it before, like mm-hmm. it might be worth it just to go and scout the location and figure out what the, the main source of lighting is. How often do you find yourself using a uh, fluorescent filter? Because I basically just, I leave a tungsten filter on mine at all times and then yeah. just like pull it back if I don't need it. That's exactly, I do exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find it to be extremely rare. Yeah, I think because most fluorescent lights are basically daylight balanced at this point. Like, I don't see a big green shift very often. Like, it's very, very cheap fluorescents don't mm-hmm. come across as daylight that I, I've stopped worrying about. I mean, sometimes it's there, but it's usually not that bad. So Yeah, and in fact, I have misplaced my fluorescent filter yeah i actually don't even uh because on the cannons see these cannon flashes they just suck uh the clip-on thing that comes with the cannon will hold filters in it but it's really big and will pop off quite easily especially if your camera's sitting on your waist like if it's hanging um i've lost one of them for our two flashes and after that one disappeared i decided screw it and i just stuck gaffer's tape on my tungsten filter and so it's just permanently taped on i just fold it back tape it back and then tape it forward so it looks uh not as professional but it is much more functional is it like a gel filter that you're using yeah exactly wow it's like i used a, to do that too i just cut out a piece of gel yeah that's what i used to do uh for my previous like i think it was the sb800 nikon yeah um and now i you know the the sb910 comes with an attachment that covers the entire light and it does not come off right. unless yeah. you take it off. That's the thing. It's just the quality of that attachment on the camera. Oh, it's it's, not good it's amazing. There's a really nice 
product I had, or I guess I have it somewhere, that is uh, you wrap a basically a rubber band of Velcro around the end of your flash, and then the the filters that it comes with have Velcro on either side, so you can really quickly take it on and off, which is a great idea, but then you need to stick with those Velcro filters, and that became the problem, is always having those ones around. Yeah. So it's kind of buried somewhere, but I, it's a good idea, and I if I went back to it, I might it's probably better than my tape. <laughs> I don't know. I found it to be difficult to use. Oh, okay. Cause I, well, I think what would happen is then when I take it off, where do I put it? Like, I, I don't want to lose the little piece of gel. And right now I just tape it. I leave it taped to the flash. So, right. I apologize to the world. Um, we have some rude neighbors and their, their dogs bark throughout oh, the night. That's right. I can't hear it. Okay, cool. So back to natural lighting a little bit. Mm-hmm. When you're blending strobes, and let's keep talking about event photography here, okay. what are the most important ways, or what are the primary ways that you do this? Because obviously you can start to drag the shutter, mm-hmm. which can be dangerous. Can be. And you can crank the ISO. I mean, that, mm-hmm. finding that balance is always kind of tricky, right? Like, where do you maintain your sharpness, but not give it more noise than it needs because the the flash on its own, you can put out enough light to uh, light your subject. Right. Sure. So it seems crazy to have like 3,200 ISO on a, an image that's already well lit. Almost never. Yeah. So what, what, how do you find that balance? I generally will start out somewhere between ISO 400 and 800 in an indoor location. Yep. And take a couple manual shots and just kind of check to see how much I'm seeing. So manual shots without the flash. Without the, without the flash, right. yeah. And then, you know, then I'll, I'll start adding the flash from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm usually, uh, I think that I probably have it negative 2 EV at a starting point and sometimes go lower. Sorry, the, oh, the background exposure or the flash? No, no, the flash exposure. Okay. Yeah. So I don't want it to be overpowering. I just want it to, I want it to, you know, nicely fill the faces, you know, cause yeah. it's usually you're taking portraits or whatever at events. Right. Right. You know, and I want it to light them just slightly more than the ambient, mm-hmm. you know, cause I want it to, I want them to feel illuminated, but I don't want it to be like a, a hard wash. You know, and I really want to try to blend the features of the of the environment because isn't that kind of part of it? Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about an event, you know, uh, all, most cases, the event's being held in a location that that the uh, your client is paying for. Right. You know? Yeah, they want to see the the yeah. Decor. They want to see that location yeah. in those photos. They, they want, want to see to, the catering. Yeah, they want to feel like it was a part of it. They want to see the money they spent. That's right. And so, you know, you got to overcome these things. Um, and so that's the way that I do it. And I, you know, like I, I'll toggle my, the direction of the flash, like I'll shoot it straight up with the, uh, diffuser on it. So it's a very soft amount of light, but it's just illuminating it enough to brighten the faces so that they don't feel muddy at all. And you don't have to crank the exposure after the fact. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a delicate balance. And I mean, there's definitely times where you're going to have to crank your ISO if it's just that dark, you know, but it's so worth it still. It's still going to look better. That's how I feel about it anyway. I'll describe my method, which is, it's not, uh, well, it's different than yours. And um, so things I think about are that 
when you're leaning on the flash quite a bit, and the, especially the background's a little bit too dark, getting your subject and the background to be a similar distance from your lens yeah. uh, will really help in lighting them up equally. So like the worst case is if you're in a really big room and you're shooting people in the middle of the room, but you can yeah. see the wall behind them way back there. That's the hardest. That, and that and what you're describing is the best way to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's because that's the, that's the scenario I'm mostly in. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and like wedding, weddings being a good example of that, you know, reception hall. Um, mm-hmm. So other ways to deal with that is also to back up. So like backing up and zooming in and powering your flash up a bit so that it's illuminating the whole area a little bit more. All right. Okay. So like, you know, think about like a really wide shot. Like if you zoom out to like, well, say you're on a zoom lens and you're at like 24 millimeters and you let your flash just get really powerful, it'll basically fill a room, right? It'll hit the wall and it'll hit the people and they'll all be pretty similarly lit. Mm-hmm. That is only a certain kind of photo that you can take like that, but right. you know, it works. And then the other is to move your subjects closer to walls or to, to backgrounds or to, to things that are a bit more directly behind them. That doesn't have the benefit that you were just talking about of showing off the environment. But if you shoot those two ways... You can, and this especially would work in like, let's say it's an all black room. Like if you're just not able to bounce it around, you're not able to bring in any background lighting, Mm -hmm. then you mix in close-ups that are near walls and wide shots where the whole room is lit. You'll feel like every shot was well lit and you'll see the environment and see the close-ups, but yeah, just kind of a different way to do it. And then also when I am able to bounce light, I basically just, I really crank my flash. Like I let it try, I try to dominate the room mm-hmm. with the flash on my camera. And if you've got enough white walls, it, it can be, and the room's not too big. You don't have really elevated ceilings. Uh, the, the wall behind you isn't too far. Uh, you know, I'll maybe stand near a, a white wall, turn my flash around pointing directly yeah. at it and just turn yeah, it yeah. all the way up. And often you can get really, you can get, you know, softer than softbox lighting. Yeah. Uh, you can get a bit of that wash I was describing with your totally. on camera flash. Those things are powerful. Yeah. Yeah. They can sometimes be too powerful. Yeah. So the, the hardest part and the part that I'm always working on, and I feel like I'm never really that great at is quickly adjusting the power, the output of your flash and the direction of it to be just right for each shot. Yeah. Because tiny movements like, I was going to say centimeter, an inch, <laughs> however you want to say it, will, will make an enormous difference in um, the shape of the light and the power of it and just what it happens to hit in, in the building around you. Yeah, I mean, no matter what, the consistency is not going to, like, it, depending on how quickly you have to move, like in an event, you know, not every shot's going to be exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and this is why it's it's incredibly important to shoot as much as you can you know, and practice as often as you can in order to, to be able to, to get a nice average with the consistency, you know, cause in every, any given situation, I mean, you know, depending on how big the event space is, if it's a big hall or something, every room might be a completely new scenario mm-hmm. and you have to be able to react really quickly in order to get pleasing results in each location. So don't be afraid to, to, you know, fire off a bunch of test shots at nothing. 
you know, just, just figuring it out. I just have way too many test shots that I, uh, yeah, need to delete immediately since I get home. Yeah. But it's, it's way better to delete a couple test shots than it is to like yeah, too, have a bunch of bad photos. Too many is not a thing. Back. I didn't really mean to use that word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you're not burning film here. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Totally. So, uh, do you got a thing this week? <laughs> I've, oh my God. I'm you got a snowstorm. I got a big snowstorm. <laughs> that, you recommend it? No, <laughs> not really. Although, like you know, I have to say that that we we really fared well through this. You know, three feet of snow, and we never lost power. You and know, your internet's still on. Yeah, I, I didn't run out of beer. <laughs> you know, everything prepared. worked out. Yeah, everything worked out all right. And so it wasn't that big of a deal. But um, and I never lost internet, which is pretty critical <laughs> obviously mm-hmm. if you're if you're snowed in and you can't do anything not having the tv or internet would be a, a, a pretty big drag oh, that'd be so a serious disaster so for christmas uh one of my friends got me the uh star wars battlefront game on xbox one. Oh, awesome yeah you know it's been a while since i've played these kind of online group attack and kill games mm-hmm. you know um but i've always been a huge fan of them I had this one, and or he got me this one, but I didn't have Xbox Live, just because I, I was being cheap for a while, and just didn't want to spend the money. I don't blame you. And me. yeah, and so finally, I was just like, you know what? Even if I'm only going to use it for two months, and then I get tired of this game, like this game's going to be useless if I don't just get it. Mm-hmm. And I've just been addicted to it, just because it's it's that constant challenge because you're playing real people and you can't ever learn their move. Because they're always changing. And it reminded me of that's the kind of game that I can stay interested in for a longer period of time. Just because, you know, there, there's no pattern that you're getting used to. And it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's fairly well done. I probably would have bought it. I mean, I, I really thought I was going to. Like, I planned to buy it. And I ended up not because of the multiplayer. And that's totally just me. I generally prefer single-player games. And I would try it, but I realized that after a few weeks of a game being a multiplayer game being out, I feel like everybody in the world has had a chance to get way better than me and get more invested <laughs> in it than me. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not going to yeah. have time to get into it. I just right, you know I'm only right. going to play it so many times, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not. I would never claim to be a, a frequent winner <laughs> of these games, mm-hmm. but it's like that doesn't even bother me. I don't need to win. I think it's just a fun challenge. Yep. And it, and it, it's a lot of hand-eye stuff, which is, is something I just really enjoy. I've always been that kind of, you know, I would be really into racquetball, I guess. I just like hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. I found it to be fun. And so this game, it entertains me for that, like, 35 to 40 minutes before I go to bed or whatever. I've just really been into Star Wars lately, too. So I I feel like I should play this. I don't want, I don't want to have never played it. It's fun because like, you know, there's, there's so many different modes in which you can play. So you can be, you know, you get like, depending on if you're, if you're doing the online thing, you know, it toggles between being, um, you know, the empire and being the rebels. And, you know, that's fun because, you know, it's not a decision. It's just, you, you're placed on this side or that side every game and it's, it flips every, every match. Um, and then there's certain battles where you can be the heroes. So you can be, you know, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, um, or the emperor, you know, or Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, it's, that's awesome. 
you know, that's, that's well, a really, and it, it adds a different dimension because you can't use the, the, the weapons that you've, right, right. That you've gotten accustomed well, to. And the art of it really looks, it, it looks like the most Star Wars-y Star Wars game yet. Like it feels like the universe. Oh, it, in, it's, in the it's awesome. Play. Yeah. It's way cool. Like yesterday. So the last two na- nights, um, not tonight, but the night before and the night before that, um, we watched, uh, a new hope and empire strikes back with my son. Oh, one night. No, no. Uh, back oh, to back. Oh, right, got it. Right. So last night we watched Empire Strikes Back. So a lot of the of the scenes in this game are from Empire and uh, Return of the Jedi. And so he's immediately, he just jumped up out of the chair and got excited because he was recognizing these scenes from the game. And he's like, Daddy, that's your that's that scene, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so funny. I feel like that's probably really common now that a lot of kids know Star Wars first from games. Mm-hmm. Especially Star Wars Lego. Well, and you know, I think that, you know, I was I was talking to to Chris after we recorded our last episode. And uh, you know, he was asking, you know, he was just, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna watch a movie with my son. What are you going to watch? Well, I'm looking at these different movies and I really want to watch star Wars with him, but I'm not sure if he's ready. And then he shared a video with me, with me of these kids watching star Wars and like the reactions. And it was so cute. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it more and I'm like, you know what? Out of all of the, the kind of, I guess, intense movies out there, star Wars is really light and tolerable. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no real cursing, there's nothing, there's no nudity. There's yeah. nothing really bad. There's heavy themes that are pretty intense um, to introduce to a child. But by now, by by six, most of the cartoons that they're watching have gone way over that. You know what I realized in my most recent viewing of it, though? Like, the weirdest thing is how many limbs get cut off. Yeah, totally. Like, a lot. And they just get dropped. So <laughs> many people lose hands. Like, it's really a thing. <laughs> Oh, and it's, it's, it's so funny. Like I was, I was thinking about that, um, watching, you know, the, the scene on the ice cave scene on Hoth mm-hmm. where Luke cuts off the monster's arm, you know, you see him swing and then all of a sudden you see the arm drop and it just looks so ridiculous, you know, and then you see like the monster flailing with a missing arm. I started typing how many hands get cut off and it suggested Star Wars. Oh my God. Uh, so, uh, Every limb lost in the Star Wars films. Uh, it doesn't have a total number. But just glancing at it, there's at least like 10. <laughs> well, is it is it more than people getting choked out? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's surprising. Because that was the first thing that my son mentioned to me. Is he's just like, Daddy, how come he likes choking people so much? <laughs> Well, I don't know. And you said this is a wholesome movie. <laughs> well, it's obviously it's not a wholesome movie, <laughs> but it's a lot. It's it's totally tame compared to a lot of things. Totally, yeah, that's true. Yeah, is it just on the top of games? This can't be my pick because it came out well three years ago at this point. But I, I'm, yeah. I'm playing Grand Theft Auto Five right now. Oh my god, nice! And I've it's I, okay. This is old news, but it's a really well made game. I'd given up on Grand Theft Auto because I don't know. It's the same thing over and over. Uh, but they did a really good job. So I don't know if you did drugs and yeah. hookers and violence. If you missed gangs, if and- you missed five, like I did, uh, try it. It was pretty good. You know, there's a lot of things that we could say about video games, but the thing that, that you can't take away from them is that no matter how vile they are, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> it's true. My actual pick this week is podcast. 
called and it's funny that I never brought it up on this before because I was listening to it the other day and realized that it was a really big influence on this show on the structure of the show and I don't even think I mentioned it to you before but it's a lot of like what I had in my mind when we started this a lot oh, okay and it's called the RC podcast and okay. when it started it was the RC was for the red center meaning red cameras the hosts are uh, video shooters that are very professional. Um, one of them runs a educational site called FXPHD and it teaches people about how to make movies. And the other is an accomplished director and they're both from... Um, yeah, so th- they had one of the first red cameras and we're talking a lot about it and t- it developed into more just talking about cinematography. But yeah, very much from a professional perspective and unapologetically. And I learned very fast by listening to them just talk above my head and talk about things I didn't understand and then Googling it. And so that was something I had in my mind while we were developing this show is like some things will say are below our audience and some are above, but we'll, let's not apologize for it. Let's just talk through. And if, Hey, if you don't get it, you'll find, you'll find the answer. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, and I wanted to also call them out because on the last episode, the new year's or the end of the year, 2015 episode, they read my tweet on the air. So that reminded me I should pay attention to that. They exist. So nice. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Cause I've been listening to them for a long time and they've affected my cinematography in a lot of ways. So well done. Yeah. Anyway, Okay, so as we're wrapping up here, I just want to tell our listeners. So after hearing us talk about all these the artificial lighting and whatnot and what you can do with your speed lights and strobes, if you have a moment, go ahead and, and go over to the Nikon site and check out their new speed light, which is the SB5000, um, which is arguably the most powerful and useful speed light ever created. And then watch the video and look at the sample pics and let those sample pics be a lesson for you of exactly how not to use strobes <laughs> and speed lights, please, for the yeah. love of God. I can just see it uh, glancing at the website. I don't even awful. have to watch the videos. It is awful. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my... <laughs> you know, okay, just like one last tangent before we go. The looking at those <laughs> style of photo and strobist photos in general, like strobist yeah. the site and the community and the style. The Joe McNally. Yeah, the, the genre. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that, it, it is big in photographer circles. This isn't what mainstream photography becomes. This isn't what most magazines publish. This isn't what right. fashion photography really is or what portrait photography really is. It's what other photographers show each other. You are making such an, a massively important point. Yeah. And I, I, can't. I, I, I can't, no, I'm this, this is needs to be said and it, it, it needs to be emphasized because that's exactly the, tri- the, the case. This kind of look to your, to your photography is only interesting to other photographers and that's it. Those are the only people that are actually looking at it and going, Oh, that's awesome. Outside of that, there might be some people who don't really know anything about photography at all that might also say, wow, that's really awesome. Amazing. Whatever. But most people don't, it doesn't translate to anything that makes any sense to them. Yeah. Your, your friends will like it on your Facebook page, but it's yeah. not going to build, you can't build a career on it. No. Oh my God. You're amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
I, I feel like maybe we should have opened that instead of uh, hoping that people listen to the entire episode <laughs> before getting that point. Well, but, it's it's that it's that that um, that little nugget that you well, that you it's win incentive. <laughs> yeah, this is why you should always listen to every minute of this show because the the one good part may come at the very last moment. <laughs> right. So the the takeaway from today is yes, absolutely use artificial light, but like do not let it give itself away. Yeah. Hide that. Yeah, exactly. Hide it bury it okay well yeah. thanks for listening thanks oh wait where do you find us uh, well I, i'm a, on twitter uh twitter you are twitter? on twitter what uh twitter and that's cam rocker c-a-m-r-o-c or r-o-c-k-e-r and uh yeah i mean i will give me my, my twitter too is stallman <laughs>